We're in this series, God's Plan for Our Wellbeing, looking at the way that uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, affects every single um, area um, of our lives. And I uh, hope you've been enjoying it so far. We've been using these, these six dials as a kind of framework to, to look at how the gospel affects um, our physical well-being, emotional, uh, and, and so on. That's what we've got up to, because today we're looking at the subject of spiritual well-being. How does what Jesus has done affect our spiritual um, well-being? And um, what we've been encouraging um, so far is to pick kind of one of these dials to say, I would love by the grace of God to see some change in, in just one um, of those areas. Because uh, they're all interlinked, aren't they? But sometimes, I was just chatting about this with my wife Emma the other day, sometimes you have to kind of pick one to focus on because they can lead you to different actions, can't they? Sometimes um, having a bit more rest can help your physical well-being, but sometimes actually you might want to do something that's life-giving instead of kind of, I don't know, um, staying at home for a little bit or having the extra lines or whatever to help your emotional or relational, spiritual well-being, whatever it might be. So to kind of pick one and see, right, God, what is it you're putting your finger on um, in my life? But with spiritual well-being, that, that third one, really, when we kind of say this is a menu of options, well, spiritual well-being itself is kind of a menu within a menu. There are a myriad of ways that we can kind of access and know um, the, the goodness of God and, and all that he has done for us in sending his son to die on the cross for us. Um, and um, Jesus has given us all sorts of ways that we can, we can know him. I mean, we can uh, do it by varying our prayer life or plowing the scriptures or exploring fasting or growing and giving. Here they are, finding solitude, regular repentance, partaking in community, showing hospitality, exhibiting compassion, taking communion, practicing Sabbath, speaking in tongues. The list just goes on on and on, doesn't it? It's, it's important that these are, th are things that we let Jesus um, inspire and empower. It's, it's a get to, not a have to. Um, but I mean, basically, there you go. Like that, that's the message. Let's have the band up and, you know, we could end it there, couldn't we? But I want to speak on something specific with, within this subject of spiritual well-being today. And it's the subject of embracing weakness, embracing Weakness. We can take those down. Thanks, Mike. And um, let me tell you a, a story. A few weeks ago, um, uh, n numbers of us on, on the staff team, uh, every few months, leaders and staff in our Grace Connection churches get together for a, a day of equipping and uh, worship and, and prayer to, uh, together. And um, in the worship time, I, I had that thing I'm sure lots of us have had before where uh, some kind of scripture comes to, to mind. You think, oh, maybe that's a contribution that I can bring um, in the worship time. The scripture that came to mind was uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It talks about having this treasure, this, this beautiful work of Jesus himself um, in jars of clay and kind of fragile pots, if you like. And um, I just felt God kind of speak to me about that and wanted to sort of contribute it into the room, felt it was um, sort of apt for the time. And it was one of those worship times where I couldn't get in. Like, there was just contributions coming left, right, and center. I, I couldn't get in. I tried again later. It just wasn't kind of happening. And then the speaker got up to speak and spoke on the subject of embracing weakness. And I didn't use this passage, but actually everything that he said could have been located very much within this passage. And it just got me wondering, Lord, why, why, why did you do that? Why did you give that to me? What is it that you're wanting to do? And then in the course of the last kind of couple of weeks up to present day, I suppose personally, just being honest, I've been in one of those places that lots of us in the room will be where things have just have felt pretty tough, to be honest. Things have uh, felt very kind of emotionally involved, felt quite um, tiring. There's been numerous times where I've just been aware of my own weakness and limitations of getting things wrong. And, 
And it got me thinking, ah, oh, I'm going to be speaking on spiritual well-being in a couple of weeks' time. Originally, I wasn't meant to be on this, this passage, actually, uh, this message. I was going to be on, on a different one. But God's kind of orchestrated it where I believe that he's begun to birth something in my own life. I'd love to just begin to kind of share with you from the scriptures this morning, and then we'll see what Jesus wants to do. Does that sound okay? Yes, great. Well, let's open up our Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, reading from verse 7. If you've got a Bible or a phone, then... Um, head there, if not, the words are on the screen. And here's what it says. This is Paul, one of the leaders in the, in the early church, writing to a church in Corinth. And he says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Lord Jesus, we're so aware of our own weaknesses and limitations, and I want to ask today, Lord, that you come and speak purpose, life, and power into the, the midst of the most difficult parts of our lives, Lord, that we would see you, that we would see um, your gospel's victory and full accomplishment, our forgiveness and our empowerment to live for you, Lord. I pray we leave this place changed today. Amen. So Paul begins, we have this treasure, firstly. We have something very precious available to us, something that Jesus describes as the pearl of great price, that it is worth giving up absolutely everything to have this pearl, to have this treasure. And it is a spiritual well-being, a wholeness that comes by knowing Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And just look at how his life, his death, and his resurrection, which we call the gospel, changes. So we can all recognize times in our life where we've done something wrong, we feel guilty for doing it, and, so, and, and I suppose the, the expectation is that some kind of punishment would come, whether that's legally or just sort of um, relationally, societally, socially. But what Jesus does is that he forgives us. He pardons us, if you like. Equally, in, in other times, we've all known um, times in our lives where, where shame has come upon us, whether it's the actions that, that we've done or actions of um, others that we're connected to, where it's felt like there's a sense of shame that's been brought upon us. You know when you, like, you enter a room and you, you almost like feel disrespected? That, that's shame. But what, what Jesus does is he brings honor to us. He covers us. Or equally, times where um, situations in our life happen, where things have been committed against us, sin has been committed against us. We, we feel and know a sense of injustice in our lives that has, has stained us. But what Jesus does is he brings his justice, and as he does, he cleanses us from the things that have been done to us. He cleanses us. Or where we try to set our own journey of independence and kind of work out who we're meant to be. It's Jesus who gives us our very identity. He defines us. And so in my first years of, of being a Christian where uh, football and football players were, were my idols, Jesus forgave that affront against him where I was worshiping them rather than him. He forgave me. Equally, where I messed up my first attempts at relationships and felt some of the sense of shame come because of that, when people knew what I'd done, Jesus covered me. Or when uh, very early on um, 
it was about 12 or something, someone broke into um, our family car right outside my bedroom window. And it left me absolutely terrified at nighttime for a very long time. What Jesus did was he cleansed me from that wrong that had been done and allowed me to, um, to kind of lose the fear. Or when I would try and assert my own journey of independence through academic success or my own entertainment or finding my own purpose, he gave me my identity. We have this treasure, Paul says. Jesus Christ himself. He's not just a hobby then like, oh, I feel like being particularly Jesus-y today or doing some Jesus things. It's not just a way of life. It's not just a morality system. This is the pearl of great price that gives us purpose and meaning and our true north that is worth giving up our whole lives for. Are we giving up our whole lives for the sake of following him? We have this treasure, but Paul goes on to say, that it, this treasure is in jars of clay, in pottery, in fragile, breakable pottery. Now, there's a place um, in the UK that is known as the Potteries because there is clay in the soil, so it leads to pottery being made. It is the wonderful city of Stoke-on-Trent, from which I originate. And um, so I have been called a clay head in my time. Or, well, in Stokey, there's no H. It'd be a clay head, you know? So you want to call it term of abuse for afterwards. Feel free to come call me that, clay head. We, uh, being in Stoke in our school uh, history lessons, learned to make about saga makers and bottom knockers. Can tell you all about them for real. I don't know where your school trips happened, maybe Buckingham Palace or some like science museum or great theme park. We went to the pottery factory. Yeah, we went there. I saw it all. But actually, right from early on, one of the things that struck me is that one wrong move on the potter's wheel, and the whole thing is spoilt. And that's before you've even thought about the fragility of, of the finished product, the, the plate, the bowl, the cup. We've all broken one of those things, haven't we? Whether it be a, a china plate or cup, whether it's Royal Dalton or Ikea, we've all had the experience of dropping it on the floor and it smashing to pieces. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, we have the treasure of Jesus in lives that are vulnerable and regularly broken. Just look at the weaknesses and difficulties in Paul's life that he quoted in that passage that we read there. He spoke about fragility in verse 7, affliction, verse 8, confusion, verse 8, suffering, verse 9. He says he's been struck down. The commentators think that refers to a, a physical or a, or a mental illness. This is a, a regular threat of death, verse 10. Verse 16, he goes on to talk about his body failing regularly. In fact, the whole point of the letter of 2 Corinthians is that Paul himself is desperately weak and inarticulate and hugely unimpressive. And he keeps stating about it. I mean, there's a couple of times that he does it before this one, but he picks it up in, in chapter 11. Here's what, um, here's what Paul says about himself. I'm reading from... Um, from verse 20, uh, 24, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. You think, oh, wow, gosh. And then he keeps on going. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness. It sounds like a song, doesn't it? Uh, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through men, 
many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of you lot, is what, is what he says in, in kind of the writing to them. And he's not even got to his thorn in the flesh yet. I mean, that's still to come. He's, he's still got more to kind of go in terms of the, the difficulties in, in his life. But that's the idea that our weaknesses and limitations are part of the design, that they cause us to rely on God, that they show his strength. So often we think that God works in spite of our weaknesses rather than in our weaknesses. We read it as we have this treasure in spite of the jars of clay. But that's not what it says. The subtext of that thought really is that ideally we, we need to remove them. We, we might um, express it like, oh, if only I didn't have this time-limiting circumstance, then I could really go somewhere with God. Or if only I could just be like that person, then I'd be much more impressive, much more respected. If only I could have this one missing piece of the jigsaw, this job, this house, this relationship, then I would be able to serve wholeheartedly. But viewing our weaknesses and our limitations like this actually so often says more about our perfectionism and our desire for comfort than it does the heart of God. But weakness is the gospel. He who was strong became weak became human, bruised, beaten, killed. And in so doing, through his suffering, not in spite of, through his suffering, he won an eternal victory and now lives forever in total authority. And so we get to be like Jesus. We get to identify with him by living in weakness. You say, well, why is that? And some kind of like, oh, I guess God's faithful, so he kind of has to use me, even though I've got all these things going on in my life. No, no, no. What does Paul say in verse 7, the passage we read out at the start? He says, it is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Embracing our weaknesses and still following Jesus, when things are hard, when we're all too aware of our inadequacies, it brings glory to God. And folks, we make a massive error if we just wish them away rather than seeking and seeing God work in them and through them. I wonder what comes to mind as we talk about weakness and, and limitation in our lives. Um, might be something of a personality profile is listed or whatever. I remember, I'm quite a fan of personality profiles actually within the confines of what they're trying to do. But um, one of the first ones I ever did basically asked a series of questions and then um, gave the team that I was part of um, a, a different kind of color for each person and a sort of description of your personality. And basically, as I heard it at least, it went something like, this color is all the fun people. Everybody loves them. This color over here is the one that everyone on the team loves because they get all the stuff done. Then over here was me and one other person in red. Should have known. And then it started to say, you're, here's people in life that you might be like. You know, over here, it's like Nelson Mandela and Mother Teresa. Over here, it's like John the Baptist. <laughs> and like, so these guys would be like, hey, everyone, how are you doing? Let's have some fun. Over here, I'm like, oh, you brood of vipers. What on earth is going on? <laughs> and um, 
I've changed a lot since those days, <laughs> and that's not a, a proper kind of recalling of, of what the, the thing was actually trying to do. But actually, it did give me a bit of a wake-up call as I saw something in there, some, some things that I could identify in my own life. And actually, in, in, in the scriptures, it says that we're to make, let our progress be evident to all. And one of the realizations for me of late is it's not let your fully formed character or let your best bits or let the bits of your story that have their conclusion be evident to all. It's let your progress be evident. Progress means there's still space to go. And so I want to share with you something of how I process these things, because I think it's really important for leaders not just to tell the stories once they've happened, but actually along the way to, to help us all kind of see how we can process these things. That applies to church leaders, that applies to home group leaders, that applies to team leaders. Vulnerability and honesty is so important. So when I think about these things, sometimes I might think about personality traits that I have, where God has called me to be a pastor. I love people dearly. What I actually find is that um, conversation, especially small talk, I find it really tiring. I find it really, really draining. I wish that wasn't the case, but, but it just is. It's the same with, uh, with hosting. It's the same with pastoral meetings. I love the people. I love doing it. I just find it really draining. Or perhaps there might be disappointments in our lives that we can think of. For me and, and for Emma, we've, we've both had some very tragic early deaths, both sides of our families. I can think of uh, other like spiritual father figures, numerous ones in my life that have just disappeared very, very quickly or um, plans we made. Like we were talking about setting up a site of Grace Church um, years ago in the north of the city. We made plans. We formed a team. Emma and I um, bought a house up there and it, it didn't happen. And we kind of asked questions of why. Maybe it might be embarrassments that you have in your life. You might put it like that. You might not. Um, for me, one of the things I've been in, in a dermatology system for about 10 years with some of the kind of redness that, that happens on my face. And um, I came to Grace Church once, and it was particularly red at the time. And someone goes, have you been in a fight, JP? I was like, well, like look at me. <laughs> like, it's, it's, just, it's just a bit embarrassing, to be honest. So uh, just, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be honest here. Like, even like basic, there's some, some basic life skills that I could point to in my life. Like, that is just really underdeveloped. And... Um, I kind of flip between a sort of, like, if you cared, you could really sort it out, or actually on, in, in the worst moments, it, it causes me to question maturity or legitimacy or, or manliness. Or maybe it's just some, some basic character flaws. You know, for, for me, I, I can tend towards people-pleasing. Um, I can be quite, um, quite driven, quite one-track-minded, and so it won't surprise you with any of that to know that I'm quite hard on myself sometimes. And actually, one of the biggest challenges of this message has been limiting the things to tell you about, because I've got lists. Like, I can tell you plenty more stuff where that came from, but why am I telling you this? It's not a plea for encouragement, and Grace Church is excellent at that. It's because I want you to know that in my weakness. He is strong. That Jesus meets me there. That Jesus meets you there. That he works there. And I don't sidestep these things. They're still real. They're still daily struggles that I have to bring to Jesus. But instead, and hear this over the weakest and hardest parts of your life, instead, Paul says in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, from verse 9, says that Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, he goes on to say, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And drink this one in. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you know two incredible things about Jesus? Number one, he never was concerned with your productivity or impressiveness. He just wants your heart. And number two, Jesus, in all of his strength and glory and majesty and power and dominion and total authority, alongside those things, he remains weak. He's still the lamb who was slain. He still bears the scars, the marks of the cross. He's still human. And where our society's approach is the alleviation of weakness, you know, the, the perfect body, the closely managed Instagram profile, the, the keeping up appearances of when it's chaos inside your house, but then the moment you step out your house, you wear this kind of fake smile as if everything's okay. There is a spiritual well-being and wholeness that is found in recognizing that our weaknesses bring us to our knees in dependence on Jesus. It was um, Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, who said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That I might see Jesus. Actually, Jesus puts his finger on the nub of the issue in um, Matthew chapter 9. He, he says in verse 12, he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. And he goes on to say, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Folks, our weaknesses, our limitations, they never were the problem. Pride is the problem. Pride is what makes us stay in the, the pity party of our own weaknesses. And then the enemy um, compounds our misery by tempting us to think that we're on our own and that um, we should be better and other people can get through this where we can't. But I want to say today, there is godly purpose in our weakness, in the things we find difficult, in the things we know are inadequacies. Some of our weaknesses, are, let's call it out, some of them are just areas of sin that Jesus is working on. That's his promise, that he will keep working on our character. That's 2 Corinthians as well, changing us from one degree of glory to another. Others are things that just keep us from getting too big for our boots so that we're forced to depend on him. Some of the things about ourselves we don't like simply because we're obsessed with comfort and self-reputation, and it's our categories that need to change. But for all of them, what the gospel compels us to do is to submit to God and to plug in to Jesus. Because it's often when we're detached from him that our weaknesses tend to dominate. I wonder if you've noticed that. Moments when you feel, I'm particularly detached right now, that the weaknesses in our lives tend to dominate. And our lives can be a little bit like this lamp here. Hope you like it. Doesn't really go with the blue and the purple in the background, does it? But 
It goes in our lounge. And uh, Emma chose it. She's much better at these things than I am. Our lives are a bit like this lamp. Look nice from the outside, but ultimately powerless. And even if this thing was to run off rechargeable batteries, like still on the way to being empty, we have to face the reality that we can't supply our every need. We don't shine left to our own devices. We're, we're limited. We, we want to hide our dysfunctionality, don't we? And yet it's so obvious when our light is out. And when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that we are to let our light shine before men, that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, he said it in a sermon about the kingdom of God, the whole point of which is to show a different and a better way that we can't achieve by our own efforts. Jesus promises that there is a well-being, a wholeness that only comes when we admit and embrace our weaknesses and when we plug into Jesus. When we stop seeing them as barriers to God using us, but when we know that he works exactly in them. When we draw on some of those spiritual disciplines that were on that kind of menu slide at the start. Plug into Jesus and you will shine. When you're in, he will give you the power to shine. He will let light emanate from you when you plug in to him. Spiritual well-being is all about plugging into Jesus from that place of powerlessness, saying, Jesus, you make a way through any situation. I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to um, just leave you with one last story. Many of us have um, been enjoying the, the song recently, Jesus Paid It All. We're going to sing it in a moment. Since it's a 19th century hymn that has been redone recently by um, a worship circle with, with Kim Walker-Smith um, involved. And, and the story, so it goes, is that one Sunday of how this hymn was written, one Sunday, um, the, the, the church organist, a guy called John Grape, had written some music and um, he gave it to his pastor on the day. He says, you, can you do something with this? And in that same service, the pastor was praying and one of the choir members felt like he was just really going on for a long time with his prayer and just unable to cope with the length of this, just began to write down some words. And those words got handed to the pastor, the two, the music and the words got put together and produced the original hymn that's been adapted for this song. And what I love about these words is that they were written from a place of, I literally can't cope with how long you're going on at the moment. I literally can't engage. I'm unable to access. I can't get there. I can't get in on what you're doing at the moment. And the words that she wrote that are true for our whole lives are these. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. I'd like us to stand together. We're going to sing this song. Let's bring ourselves, our whole selves, not just the good bits to Jesus, 
and let's entrust ourselves to him.